Welcome to Money Talks, a series of interviews with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. In this episode, I talk to Polly Neat, Chief Executive of the campaigning charity Shelter. Since the mid-1960s, Shelter's been at the centre of the debate about and provision of temporary accommodation and housing for low-income and otherwise vulnerable families. While providing practical assistance to those in need, this politically non-aligned charity also exerts considerable policy influence. In this wide-ranging interview, Polly Neat discusses the UK's housing affordability crisis, the need for much more social housing, and how our housing emergency has become much worse during this pandemic. Polly, Shelter is a very special organisation, isn't it? It yeah. was created... Uh, in the late 60s, it coincided with that famous Ken Loach film, Kathy, Come Home. How do you feel to be the person who actually runs Shelter? Well, what a great question. It's, um, I mean, it's a huge honour to run an organisation like Shelter that was, you know, we have been set up to improve the situation of people who are homeless or facing homelessness. And in a way, it's a bit of a shame we're still here um, because it does show that since 1966, things have not got an awful lot better. Um, and that's kind of disappointing, but it's not disappointing in a way for me. It's an absolute honour. I, I love my job. I've always uh, known of the organisation. And so it does particularly feel like a real honour. I think viewers should understand that Shelter isn't just a campaigning organisation that offers practical help to people when they're homeless, when they're trying to get social housing. Shelter is also a kind of policy-making powerhouse. You have very smart people who are constantly trying to influence the the public policy debate on housing across the board. So we help people directly. So our uh, helpline, our emergency helpline, is the front line of homelessness prevention. That's where it happens. Um, And we also provide face-to-face support around the country as well. And in fact, that's most of what we do. Uh, But I'm a great believer that uh, if you really want to change things, you have got to go upstream and look at why so many people are seeking our help in the first place. And in order to do that, you have got to look at the policy arena and you've got to campaign and you've got to work with governments as well in order to try and make change. So we try and influence public opinion and we try and influence politicians directly. Just talk to me a bit about the extent of overcrowding here in the UK, the extent of homelessness, not only before the pandemic, but how the pandemic has exacerbated housing issues at the sharp end. Yeah, it has. So um, our most recent research shows that there are 274,000 people homeless in England at the moment. Um, That is a huge number. Uh, It's definitely increased due to the pandemic. And that doesn't Um, just mean people sleeping on the streets. It means people in bed and breakfast accommodation, emergency shelter housing. Yeah, people in hostels, people in B&Bs. But let's just be clear, you know, uh, of course, rough sleeping is the most visible and in some ways most distressing form of homelessness. That's very, that is the tip of a huge iceberg. And what we're really looking at is families with children in uh, bed and breakfast. And what I'm talking about is, you know, one room, 
you've got maybe a mum and three kids in one room all along the corridor both sides are rooms that are the same with other families in and you've got a communal shared kitchen at one end a shared bathroom and toilet at the other end so we are talking about uh, really unlivable so-called temporary accommodation that actually people are ending up in for years. You know, this is a type of homelessness that is very, very real. It is ruining lives. It's ruining children's, hundreds of thousands of children's lives. And, um, you know, people don't really see it in the way that they see the kind of 5,000 or so people who are sleeping rough on any given night. There's 700,000 people at the moment uh, living in uh, overcrowded homes as well. On top of the 300,000 On top of the homelessness. So we're talking about a million people are yes. seriously impacted either in overcrowded homes yeah or in temporary accommodation. Yeah, and that's not taking account of also um, damp and unlivable conditions. So that 700,000 is just overcrowding. You've also got hundreds of thousands of people in homes that are damaging their health through damp uh, and other you know, infestations, um, other kind of dis significant disrepair issues in both uh, the social housing sector and also private renting. And we've got an enormous crisis of affordability as well. So again, because of the lack of social homes, um, we do have to keep returning to that, mm. it actually is the problem. <laughs> but because of that, we've got people uh, who are really on the edge, who are living in private renting um, with no savings. So the vast majority of families in private renting have no savings at all. And these are people who, in the main, are not, um, you know, they're not kind of like one paycheck away from home ownership. They're not on the cusp of home mm, ownership. Mm. They're on the cusp of homelessness. So, and a better solution would be if they were in social housing, they could pay a subsidised rent and to the state to and have a permanent address in which they can build a family and build totally. a future. Totally. Have a permanent address, have some stability, the ability to build a better life for themselves um, and hopefully to save. Um, because affordable rent means that people are, are, are not spending a disproportionate amount of their income on rent they're able to a buy other essentials but also put aside money for their dreams one of which i'm sure is home ownership um, but we've got to, we've got to take policy to where people are to the reality of the housing crisis and that's what we're not doing at the moment we focus a lot on the money uh, on um, a lack of homes to buy Mm. Lots of people email me saying, Liam, why can't my kid buy a house? I'm a postman, I could buy a house, my kid's got a degree, he or she can't buy a house. So often though, the public debate, the extent to which journalists focus on housing, it is all about home ownership, private rented homes, as you say. So it's great we have you here, the boss of Shelter, to focus on social housing, because it's at the sharp end of our housing crisis where the most human misery is, as, as you've exactly. described. Now, back in the late 70s, around one in three households in the UK were social housing, council houses, if you like. It's now between 15 and 17%, depending on the definition. A lot of council houses were sold off in the 80s and 90s, and indeed, even David Cameron reinstigated the idea of right to buy. And yet, almost all those council houses weren't replaced. We build hardly any social housing these yeah. days. Obviously, housing associations, the charities build some, but local authorities don't. I mean, How serious is this shortage, Polly, of social housing it's, now? 
I mean, it's an absolute crisis. So um, last year we built less than 6,000 new social homes and actually there was a net loss of more than 22,000 social homes. So, and we've got 1.1 million people on the waiting list. It's a policy desert, social housing, really. Nothing is being done about it. It's really funny. When I talk about social housing, especially to some politicians, I kind of often get the question, or people often react as though I'm somehow against home ownership in some way. You know, and... It's not an either or, is it? No, it's yeah. of course not. And, you know, of course people aspire to own their own home. Um, but we've got to, as I say, we have to take policy to where people are, to where the crisis really is now. And that is for people on low incomes who at the moment have no prospect of a safe and secure and stable home. And that desire that we all have for home ownership, that is about a desire for a home that we can um, build our lives in, raise our families in. That's what people want from social homes as well the kind of basic human need that we all feel, um, that Englishman's home is his castle feeling, is about that security and stability. And at the moment, we're not thinking about that in the wider sense. We're not thinking about the fact that people on low incomes want that just as much as people who can currently afford to own their own homes. And the lack of social housing, the lack of your own front door for kids, the lack of a kitchen table where they can do their homework, all of which social housing can provide, surely that's, that has massive knock-on effects in terms of delinquent behaviour, crime, offending, jail population and so on. Yes, and uh, you know, in terms of homeless families, um, you know, that what they're struggling with, and particularly during COVID as well, um, is a really kind of unlivable situation. And that can lead in the worst cases, um, you know, uh, you, we're seeing an increase in domestic abuse, um, we're seeing children being received into care. Um, we've done work, uh, surveys of teachers that shows that homelessness has a real, uh, really bad negative impact on uh, kids' education and educational attainment. So we're seeing the kind of creation of generational problems that aren't necessary. If you think about children born into homelessness, born into temporary accommodation, that's a, a, a real disadvantage that potentially will stay with them throughout their lives. And if what you want is a society of aspiration and where ultimately people can aspire mm. um, to home ownership and to financial security, you have got to give people a secure starting point. You know, that if we're talking about levelling up, Leveling up has to start with people feeling that the country is invested in them and in their lives. And if they don't have a secure and stable place to live, they will not feel that. We're going to come on to that because I do detect, and maybe you do too, a slight changing of mood, certainly on the government backbenches, towards social housing. A Definitely. lot more people coming over to your point of view, to Shelter's point of view, what might lazily be called a left-wing point of view. I don't think it's left-wing to want more social housing, and I know a lot of Conservatives who would agree with that. But before we come on to that, Polly, I do want to explore that. Let's just look back a little bit to Margaret Thatcher famously instigated the right to buy. Yeah. The Tories in the 80s famously built fewer council houses than Conservative and Labour governments had during the 50s, 60s, and 70s. But 
she built a lot, lot more council yeah, houses than, than Blair and Brown. <laughs> Completely. Right? It was under Blair and Brown that the building of council houses absolutely collapsed. Why? Gosh, that's such an interesting question, isn't it? I think it is this concept that home ownership and social homes are somehow in, in contention. And there's a, a fight to be the party of home ownership and therefore a kind of increasing tendency to neglect uh, people in social housing who actually will never aspire to home ownership, as I said before, if they can't save and if their rent isn't at an affordable level. So it's very short-sighted, but I think it was almost a kind of race to... Um, to own the idea of home ownership. Yeah. And I think what Margaret Thatcher very successfully did was harness the power of that idea as a political force and all power to her. Yeah. And, and many people watching this will have grown up in homes that were council Absolutely. houses that their parents bought and they will be screaming at the Absolutely. telly now, that transformed our uh, lives. And I'm sure it did. And good. Great. The problem is... But for every one you sell, you've got to build another well, one, right? Yeah, and that's what didn't happen. Because what's happened is <laughs> that through that, we've denied that to future generations. Yeah. You know, the reason there isn't a um, right to buy now accounts for almost no new home ownership. Mm. It does a bit, so somebody's going to be shouting at the telly going, oh, yeah. I just bought my council. Yeah, yeah. Fine, yes. So there's a few, but it's a tiny drip. Um, and when Right to Buy was at its heyday, it was accounting for a huge amount of mm. people newly into home ownership. Now, uh, it's an absolutely minute fraction. Why? Well, you can't have a right to buy because there's nothing to buy because we're not building any more social homes. So the whole cycle uh, has been broken and we're not solving the housing crisis, which, as you said, you know, the human impact of the housing crisis is on those people on, on low incomes. And actually... Um, you know, at the moment, the home ownership products that the government is um, developing in the absence of anything to apply the right to buy to are really out of reach. Of like shared ownership and help to buy and all that stuff. All of that is What, what do you think of, of help to buy, which basically, it seems to me, jacks up the demand side of the housing yeah. market without doing anything about unlocking more supply? Yeah, it's just not the answer, is it? It's helping a few people to buy their own homes. Many of them could have afforded to buy their own home anyway. But pushing up prices for it's everyone else who can't access the scheme. Who can't access. That's so interesting because here you are, Polly Neat, you know, the very respected head of shelter, and think tanks like the Centre for Policy Studies, the Adam Smith Institute, the Institute of Economic Affairs, all you know, very much think tanks on the right that would usually oppose you tooth and nail. When it comes to things like help to buy, when it comes to things like the need for more social housing, they completely agree with you. Yeah, and, you know, Oliver Letwin in his review found you simply Former cannot... Former Tory cabinet minister. Yeah, you will not get your 300,000 new homes built a year unless you build a significant proportion yeah. of them as social homes. It simply cannot happen. And something has to be done about the supply side. It's, you know, it's more difficult... Um, I guess it's difficult maybe in the Treasury because there is investment needed in this. You know, it's not free. But if, if you're serious about building 
significant numbers of new homes and you really want to end the housing crisis, uh, then you will have to look at social housing in a serious way. Lots of Conservatives uh, understand that. Lots of Conservative backbenchers that we talk to absolutely get this. And particularly some of those um, MPs in the uh, former red wall seats, you know, whose constituents are really seriously impacted by this problem um, and who possibly grew up in social housing themselves. You know, they completely understand why social housing is so critical for the country's future and for the whole concept of levelling up isn't going to mean anything if people don't have somewhere safe and secure to live. You say the Treasury will drag their feet, there's money involved. But as I often say to Treasury officials and to people in Parliament, look, we're spending £25, £30 billion a year on housing benefit. Yeah, completely. Housing benefit, just to explain to viewers who aren't across it, that means the government gives money to private landlords so people can privately rent homes that they otherwise couldn't afford to rent. And we're talking very, very basic homes. And quite often, those private landlords who rent to social tenants via housing benefit, the homes are pretty ropey. The conditions of housing often. aren't always good. Not always, no, but no. often they're not Often they're not. Good. It's much easier and more efficient for social housing that's got government involvement to be kept up to scratch and up to standard. And to be fair to the Blair and Brown government, they did put money into upgrading our stock of social housing, not in terms of expanding it, but maintaining the housing stock that we do have. So if the Treasury wants to save money, it should move housing subsidy away from housing benefit and into bricks by building more social housing. That way, building social housing quite quickly will save money from year to year. We're spending well over twice what we spend on the whole affordable housing programme on housing benefit. Total it's, madness. It's absolutely mad. Helping and it's private no landlords to build massive buy-to-let empires. Yeah, and it's not an investment. No. You know, the, it's money what, down the drain. What we're talking about mm. is investing in mm. our people, investing in homes, investing in bricks and mortar, and less, you know, you do get rent for social housing. You mm. do get yeah. a return. It takes it's longer. It's usually 30, 40, 50 percent of the market rate, roughly. That's I it. know there's a complex algorithm yeah, for roughly. developing it. But, but it means, and the, I would say, Polly, it doesn't have to just be government money. If there is a regulated, steady income stream, and it must be regulated, private sector money can help to build social housing, as it does in so many other parts of the world. And yet, we don't seem to have the imagination. We're meant to be one of the most financially innovative countries in the world. We don't seem to have the financial imagination to get private and public money together to build more social homes. We would really like to see more experiments around that, um, and particularly around, you know, um, we believe there's a a real, uh, there would be a real benefit in a pilot of say 10,000 additional, there's gotta be, but 10,000 net zero social homes to kind of prove the technologies uh, and, you know, and demonstrate how some of those technologies that will deliver net zero homes, for example, can be taken to scale by building social homes. Um, And we would like to see private sector and government come together to make that happen. Because actually some of the new modern methods of construction, some of the much greener methods of construction, 
need that long-term stable order book that you would get from social housing um, in order to you know really prove their worth and so you know there's lots of exciting ways in which we believe private sector and uh, the government can come together. I, I don't think you can get away from the fact that we will need government investment in order to build social homes. So in not, as many if only to catalyse, if Absolutely. not to wholly or even no. massively fund, but you no. need that government but I don't money to catalyse. Yeah, I don't think we can pretend that it won't need investment from from the government because it will. But to go back to your point, um, a really well-made point earlier, you know, at the moment, we are pouring money into the pockets of private landlords through housing benefit, and that is no kind of investment. I'm a taxpayer. I don't want that. I, you know, I'm not interested in spending taxpayers' money in that way. I would rather invest it. Um, people have got no problem with building hospitals, building schools. Government needs to build homes as well. You mentioned levelling up earlier. Of course, the, the, the government overlord of levelling up and of housing is now a bloke called Michael Gove. Indeed. He's not everyone's favourite politician, but he is a politician who has a track record of breaking existing structures, of disrupting, of pushing back against yeah. vested interests. If I was Michael Gove, what would you say, Polly Neat, about how you can help him to help level up? Well, we are having this conversation um, and, you know, we have had a really positive conversation about the relationship between uh, investment in housing and levelling up and the fact that housing needs to be central to levelling up. I'm, I'm optimistic. I, I really, I think um, what housing needs is somebody who isn't thinking in tra the traditional tram lines and is prepared to break out, is prepared to think in a different way. Um, and I think you know, we could have that in Michael Gove. I think it's really promising, actually, that the Prime Minister has brought housing and levelling up together in one department, because that... Under the auspices of a very serious um, player. Yeah, under the auspices of somebody who has influence and has power. That, to me, is a really positive sign. What I'm hearing so far is positive. Um, so let's be optimistic. I mean, I hope so, because, frankly, it's desperate out there. Let's get back to the, the human cost of all this. Um, we are seeing a real tidal wave of human misery um, as a result of the place we've got to in terms of housing in this country. We are in a bad place and people are really suffering as a result of it. I think the government understands that. I know many Conservative backbenchers understand that. So I'm hoping that with public pressure, uh, that's our job as campaigners to generate that with pressure from the backbenches as well and with um, this new department where we've got levelling up housing communities all together under Michael Gove. I'm hoping we will see some movement. And yet, and yet, there are massive vested interests involved here. You've got those big property developers who get hundreds of millions of pounds of housing benefit for housing social tenants. You've got the private sector house builders, the massively dominant oligopoly that they are, who bestride our house building sector. They give massive campaign donations. They don't want more social housing being built. They like the fact that they are completely in charge and they are determining how many new homes are created every year. If the Tories do this, and I agree with you that there is a real chance of fresh thinking with Gove, but they have to face down yeah. those vested interests, those campaign donations, 
it's not nailed on at all that they're going to go for this, is it? No, they've got to be really brave. So let's just hope they will be, because you're right, you know, it isn't in the interests of these enormous house builders necessarily to change the system. At the moment, they hold all the cards. They don't need to play those cards with any imagination whatsoever to run away with huge, huge sums of money, as you say. There are lots of um, elements of the system that are actually working against um, the actual delivery of new homes, you know. Um, there's a lot of kind of perverse incentives within that system, which is in the interests of some of the big housing uh, house builders to maintain. Well, we, you know, we can't have that. It doesn't make any sense. But I agree with you, you know, for a conservative government to stand up to those uh, interests will be difficult. I think if they're serious, I think if the government is serious about levelling up, is serious about doing things differently and is serious about solving the housing crisis, they will have to do it. But, yeah, it's not straightforward, you're right. And yet social housing barely registers, does it, in terms of what journalists write about in the mainstream papers, the mainstream broadcasters, in terms of what politicians in general talk well, about. I, so I think that... So, yeah, you're right. Um, I, it's, it doesn't feature as much as health or education or other kind of... You're looking at as kind of social policy agenda. Um, housing isn't up there with those other topic especially at the moment (laughs) (laughs) you know but um, I think that is shifting I'm certainly hearing more journalists um, getting their heads around this I think there's a you know when I first joined shelter about four years ago if I had a few grand for every time someone said to me oh housing's so complex I could build a social housing myself you know (laughs) there's a lot of kind of drowning the poly neat memorial (laughs) trust (laughs) there's a kind of you know there's a kind of drowning in the supposed complexity of housing policy that goes on and I think a lot of journalists are just a bit scared of that to be honest it's up to people like me to make it simple to make it a human story we do need journalists to help absolutely convince the public a that you know this is an emergency that has to be solved and b that unlike a lot of the emergencies that we're in it is an emergency with a solution there is an answer it might not be the politically easiest answer although that is shifting but there is actually an answer and you know we do need people to be telling that story absolutely and it is up to people like me to convince them to do that Let's go back to that astonishing Ken Loach film, Kathy Come Home, which as a kid in the mid-70s, it came on the television and my mum literally sat me in front of the television and said, you watch this. And it sparked my interest in, in, in housing. Um, you're at the front line of this, Polly Neat. There are still Cathy's out there, aren't they? Oh, absolutely. Um, um, we meet them every day the impact of this crisis on ordinary people trying to make their way in life um, is really extreme in many cases. And and I've met many Cathy's since I've been at Shelter and our frontline staff are meeting them, as I say, every single day. Um, It's very far from being over. I feel a real uh, sense of mission about this because, as I say, we do actually know what the answer is. Uh, and yet we're further away in many ways from achieving it than we were in 1966. I was born in 1966, which is the year Shelter was founded. Um, And so, you know, my lifetime, we haven't succeeded 
in getting an end to this housing crisis. Um, and I am pretty determined to make it happen. Polly Neat, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks a lot for listening to Money Talks with me, Liam Halligan, Economics and Business Editor of GB News. If you've enjoyed this episode, then please leave a rating or review on Apple Podcasts, YouTube or wherever you're listening. Do subscribe to this podcast and also check out my daily television show, On The Money, at 1pm Monday to Friday on GB News or via the GB News app. GB News, Britain's news channel.